Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very, very exciting guest. You know, we have an exciting guest. We're going to be talking about all the good stuff that we like to hear, building, scaling, financing, all of the above. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Pushkar Mukawar. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great, Alejandro. Glad to be on the show. So originally born in India. So how was life growing up there? Give us a little of a walk through memory lane. <laughs> sure. Uh, so yeah, born in India, I uh, kind of grew up in a second tier small town called Nagpur, which is right in the center of the country. Um, and, you know, I come from a community of, uh, of businesses, business, small business, uh, small business families. And uh, growing up, uh, you know, I, I just saw the challenges with small businesses face when it comes to access to credit and that kind of stayed with me. Um, um, I went to college, uh, so moved to the U.S. for college and then kind of, you know, also worked in the U.S. Uh, for, a, uh, for a few years. Um, so I did my undergrad in, in computer science, uh, but then I sort of switched gears and moved to financial services. Um, and uh, then also ended up doing my MBA in the U.S. before deciding to move back to India. And why, I mean, obviously in this case, you know, you had, as you were saying, you know, all your family, um, you know, you saw there the issues with the uh, lack of access to, to credit. I mean, it sounds like business, you know, was something that, you know, you wanted to do. I mean, you were seeing people, you know, around you having their own companies, you know, left and right. I guess two questions here. Number one is why not, you know, studying business right away? You know, obviously, you know, you ended up going to Wharton, which obviously you had it in mind, but, you know, sounds like computer science was the first stop. So why was that the first stop? And then the next question that I would like to ask you, you know, based on what you just shared is, you knew that you wanted to launch your own business. So why did you go and work for other companies like Capital One? So let's go with the first one. You know, why did you study computer science instead of business? Sure. Um, so I think, um, you know, India is a very traditional kind of society. And I think uh, typically most people opt for two, one of two career options. It's, it's either you become a doctor or you become an engineer. And of course, you know, there, there's a host of other options. But in general, I think the, the community I grew up in, you know, education was a big focus area. And, 
and i don't think during during that time uh, studying business at uh, at an undergrad level was something which most people did um and i generally enjoyed mathematics and uh, you know and uh, kind of everything to do with mathematics and i think uh, computer science at that point was supposedly like a hot area and i and i did kind of enjoy whatever computer science exposure i had right so when it came to uh, kind of picking my major for undergrad uh, i i thought computer science would be very interesting um obviously i i wouldn't go on and say that i had the foresight that technology is going to become like you know enabler for a lot of other things over time but uh, but at that point computer science just seemed as a very interesting area something which uh, because i loved math uh, physics and most of the mathematical sciences i think uh, i i felt like that was kind of in line with you know uh, my interests right uh while the idea was to always start a business i thought that having a technical undergrad would would generally be helpful and would be would be something which uh you know um uh, which is which is something which would be sort of stay with me you know whatever i choose to do in my career eventually yeah and then i think your second question was around you know if i wanted to start a business you know why not jump in right away why why go through sort of working with other companies and so on and so forth right um so to me i think uh, having grown up in india i think part of me always um believed that i should get global exposure i should also spend time uh, abroad um lot of my distant relatives had uh, were already in the us and i think uh, part of me always sort of wanted to step out and kind of experience you know living and working in a in a completely different cultural setting um so when the opportunity came by i decided that it made sense for me to uh, first initially sort of move to the us for education and then also get some years of experience behind behind me um something which will just expose me to business right um, and working in a larger organization just build help build skills which would be relevant even as i went to business school and then eventually launched my own business so so it was something which uh, uh, you know uh, while i wanted to always start my business eventually i felt uh, you know kind of working in a larger organization for some time would be would be a good good step towards that journey and obviously wharton you know it's a phenomenal school you know they are great you know you even have like uh, some of those competitions and you know they ask you to put together a business plan for something you know as the end project you know like really really interesting stuff and and great initiatives there you know which really pushes people into into building their own companies. I mean, there's incredible companies that have come out of there, uh, no, like Warby Parker and and a bunch of others. But one thing that here that uh, that really strikes me is, you know, at this point, you know, you are in the U.S. You know, you've uh, come to the land of opportunity, pursuing the American dream, uh, and you decide to go back to India. You know, versus you know doing something of your own here in the U.S. So why going back to India? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I. I never really felt at home in the US. I think for, for for me it was always like I wanted to go to the US, sort of work there, get some experience there, but part of me always wanted to be back home and do something back home in India. Um so so for me uh, it was always very clear that eventually I wanted to return back and uh, you know um I think business school seemed like the right kind of uh you know uh, juncture in my professional journey where post that i think i had an opportunity to return back to india uh, and i sort of capitalized on that um now um, 
the other thing which was also parallelly happening i think as uh, you know as kind of you know things progressed was that when i went to the us back in 2003 2004 um there were not enough opportunities in india right so if you if you kind of uh, pursued you know higher education went to a top business school like wharton uh, there were not many opportunities back home uh, neither on the startup side nor on kind of professional side right uh, which were uh, which were um, you know uh, sort of uh, paying well enough and 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 the right set of opportunities for somebody who had actually gone through that kind of a professional journey so uh, so part of me uh, i think so so one thing which also evolved over the 10 years with which i spent in the us is that a lot many more things started happening in india right the the financial services industry overall evolved in india you had a lot of uh, you know uh, foreign institutional investors who started setting up shop startups kind of you know started emerging in india um, of course there were not enough successes by then but we had already started seeing a number of venture capital firms coming to india number of startups emerging and starting to grow in india uh, so i felt like if I was to take a bet on my career longer term and personally, I anyways wanted to be in India, uh, it just seemed like India would be the right place place for me to be. Um, so I did initially move back, uh, joining a, a venture capital firm so that I could just get exposure to the market and really understand because since I'd never worked professionally in India, um, wanted to spend some time kind of really understanding the market. Um, and then, you know, but at some point, uh, felt right that it was the time to take a step, step back and like sort of, you know, take the plunge in entrepreneurship. So at what point did you feel it was right? Uh, so, uh, because I think the eventual goal was always to start my own venture. As I started working in the venture capital industry, you know, I, I felt like, uh, the, the role was a lot more about deal making and not as much about actually doing operations or building something um so so i started thinking about what what could i do right and uh, i think one of the inhibiting in, inhibiting factors at that point was i didn't have a co-founder you know so i didn't have uh, i wasn't i not, neither did i have like a narrowed down opportunity that okay this is what i'm going to go do uh, once if i do take the plunge into entrepreneurship and neither did i have a co-founder so um uh, I connected with, I reconnected with actually one of my close friends from Wharton who was in the Valley at that point. And he had post Wharton joined Cisco CopDev. Uh, so he was also sort of working there, but but he was also kind of inching to, you know, take the plunge. Uh, and we started talking and given our background, both of us had spent a number of years in finance and were, were technologists with, uh, by background. Uh, we we started exploring opportunities within fintech, and I think at some point both of us felt like, hey, you know what? The only way we are going to make anything happen is if we quit our full time jobs and and go all in. Um, so uh, yeah, basically three years after working for three years after business school, uh, I felt it was the right time for me to uh, to, to step back, like you know, to take the plunge. Well, taking the plunge, Drake Capital. So. Um... What is Drip Capital for the people that are listening? What is the business model of Drip Capital and how do you guys make money? Sure. Uh, so we are essentially, uh, you know, so our mission is to really sort of, you know, uh, enable small and medium-sized businesses uh, to realize their full potential. And uh, we focus on offering working capital solutions for small and medium-sized businesses. Um, 
we uh, we essentially offer two kinds of products uh, you know because working capital is a big challenge for businesses either their capital is stuck in receivables or they need to make payments to their suppliers so in payables so we offer two kinds of solutions to small businesses one is uh, a receivables financing solution where a business who is approved on our platform can essentially submit an invoice and get paid instead of waiting 60 90 days can get paid up front uh, for a commission uh, or for a fee which they pay to us uh, the other product we also offer is a payables financing solution where instead of the business making the payment to their supplier we make the payment to the supplier on the behalf of the business and a business can get flexible payment terms could be 30 60 90 day terms right so essentially what this enables the businesses to do is that um it enables them to unlock working capital which they can use to buy more inventory manufacture more goods sell more and hence grow their business right and working capital is one of the biggest challenges which small businesses have uh, not just in emerging market but also in developed markets and that's the product or that's the solution we are looking to really solve uh, for right um and that's the core business however i think being working with a number of small businesses what we have realized is that when it comes to trade or when it comes to kind of growing their business beyond working capital businesses have also other kinds of challenges right and we have also now started offering a forex solution because a bulk of the business we do is more cross border in nature we've also now started offering a forex solution on our platform and over time the idea would be that can we add other kinds of products and services which just makes the life of a small business easy and what were some of the early days challenges that you were that you were experiencing and especially compared to having seen you know some of those companies some of your friends you know at worthon that went on perhaps you know to start their own companies what were some of those challenges to that were a little bit different because you were in india so when we decided to launch i think my co-founder was in the valley i was in india so we on day one itself had like kind of a cross border team and presence right uh, which posed its own set of challenges because we obviously had to uh, you know spend a lot of time traveling we had to kind of communicate with each other we were also not exactly sure what specific while we had a broad idea that we wanted to do something within fintech and within fintech we were more excited by credit because that was an area which also capitalized on our strengths my experience in capital one my co-founders experience having worked at blackrock and and done a lot of work on credit markets um within credit as well we were not 100% sure on what opportunities made sense right um so a lot of the initial time was really spent on experimenting with different ideas right um and uh, you know small business was exciting but then you know within small business what specific product do we offer what segment do we go after uh, was something which we were still kind of you know Are figuring out right, and uh, a lot of what we did, I think, as first-time entrepreneurs, first-time founders, was also doing things literally step by step, right? We walked trade shows, we tried to talk to a lot of small businesses, uh, we we uh, we started with a product which then we realized was just difficult to scale up, you know, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, and then combine that with the fact that both of us were in different geographies, uh, you know. Um, made things even more challenging but i think uh, one thing led to another and you know we within small business segment we had launched initially with a product which was focused more on us small businesses uh, but then realized that it was just difficult to acquire customers in the us at scale and that's when the kind of model pivoted to uh, focusing on um, indian small businesses which were exporting right 
and and you know that's where we started seeing a lot of traction and that's where we launched our product and trip capital as it is today really started with that being the segment of the market uh, we focused on initially Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. I mean, I can tell you one thing, and that is that as a founder, you're always thinking about branding. Now, one thing that is very important in that, you know, is that you need traction, you need to grow, you need to succeed. And having a name that is recognizable on a really amazing domain is the way to go. So that is why it's very important to establish the online presence with a clear and distinguishable identity. And you can do that with .tech tech domains. So DocTech domains are the go-to namespace to build anything in tech. They have actually helped many brands in the industry to make a name for themselves, just like 1x.tech with their advanced Androids designed to replicate human movements and behaviors. So really, really, really cool stuff and cutting edge. And again, thousands of companies like this, you know, are also taking advantage of .tech domains. So uh, also remember that .tech domains can do the same, you know, for your company. They are also providing a great offer to every single one of you in the DealMakers audience. Is one-year domain for $10 and a five-year domain for $50. So head now to the special URL, which is go.tech slash DealMakers. And that is, again, go.tech forward slash DealMakers. So go get your own domain. And then in terms of um, regulation too, you know, how does it work? You know, because obviously, you know, here in the U.S., you know, as we know it, you know, fintech companies, you know, they're heavy on the regulatory side. So, you know, obviously, as you were saying, you know, you had, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, people in different, you know, sides of the world, you know. So how does that work too, you know, from a regulatory, you know, uh, uh, perspective? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we started in India uh, and the focus was, so the first focus was, can we work with small businesses in India, which were exporting and essentially do a receivables financing product for them, uh, which I said is one of the core products we offer, right? Um, now, uh, of course, as we started in India and we started kind of acquiring customers in India, we also did a fair amount of work uh, on really understanding the regulations governing this kind of a business model. Uh, in India for to begin with, um, uh, and uh, and I think uh, after seeking like uh, the opinion from the right set of uh, lawyers and and advisors, uh, we were comfortable that this model obviously uh, was something which was blessed by them, and you know the current regulations in India allow us to to sort of continue operating this right, and that has been a big focus area for us given the space we are operating in. So beyond India, this next market we entered was Mexico, um, which was the second international market which we launched in. Uh, and again, there as well, we did the re relevant regulatory work required to to get the get the right regulatory licenses and everything in place to be able to operate in Mexico. And the third market was US. Uh, US was a market we already domiciled in, you know. Uh, so we were already a licensed entity in the US, which made it easier for us to sort of scale up in the US, right? Um, as it stands now, we operate in these three markets, which is India, Mexico, US, and the focus will, given that the the, the opportunity in these markets itself is very, very large, um, at least over the course of the next 12, 18 months, the focus is to be continuously going deeper in these markets. Um, and uh, And as we kind of look at other markets, we'll also obviously have to uh, figure out the right regulatory, um, you know, uh, regulatory compliance, which we need to 
ensure we are, we are uh, in compliance with. And from a fundraising perspective, how much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? We have two kinds of capital we need for scaling up a platform like this, right? So on the equity front, uh, obviously the ca equity capital is required to, of course, scale up operations and and kind of build a business. And then uh, the raw material for us is really the the debt capital or the capital which helps fund the assets which we originate, right? Now on the equity front, uh, we have raised uh, four rounds of institutional funding, about hundred close to ninety ninety five million dollars so far. Our major investors are Excel Partners, Sequoia Capital. Um, there's a fund called Wing. Um, uh, y Combinator was one of our early backers. Uh, initialized Capital. Uh, last round, we also had a couple of strategic investors come in. Um, you know, our TI Platform and uh, uh, you know, Coppel. Uh, so this is the equity side on the debt side or on the uh, asset financing side we've had a mix of both institutional and non-institutional investors um we worked with a bunch of high net worth individuals family offices certain smaller credit funds but on the institutional side we have two major partners one is uh, a community bank called east west bank and the second one is uh, barclays uh, and uh, you know these are the two major funding partners we've had uh, who we kind of onboarded in the last about last 18 months or so um and uh, yeah and i think that's the side which we continue to scale up as we uh, originate more and more uh, and we continue to engage with all all different banks and you know uh, other kinds of institutions which are interested in the assets we originate yeah. and on the debt side how much have you guys raised i didn't i didn't catch that uh, yeah, so in terms of capacity uh, or, or debt capital raise, uh, it's upwards of $350-$400 million. Yeah. Okay, got it. And that you mentioned that debt capital, obviously, you know, the equity side for the people that are listening is more for, you know, the business, the employees, the operations, but the debt capital is more for the actual business model, no? to be able to uh, facilitate the, 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 basically the services that you guys bring to to the end team, the customer, no? So, um, so very, very cool. I mean, obviously, I'm sure that that has, you know, changed a little bit as you guys were, you know, getting, getting, you know, even more polished and polished as a company. But, but my God, you know, getting the people that you've uh, mentioned, you know, involved like Sequoia or Axel. I mean, we're talking about some of the best uh, investors in the world, you know, for startups. So, how were you able to get those? You know, especially since you know the operation was a little bit far away from the headquarters of these of these firms. Yeah, yeah. The good thing has been that, you know, uh, because we were a global company, I think uh, for us, and some of these funds are global. So uh, we, we actually had both their India and the US team engage with us, uh, which I think kind of is the best of both worlds. We, we get both the perspectives. You know, uh, obviously, we went through the fundraising process, like every startup does, you know, meeting a bunch of investors along the way. But I think... Uh, what really, in my view, stuck with some of these investors is the is the scale of the opportunity we are going we were going after, right? I mean, we were talking about small business credit, uh, we were talking about global trade, and we were looking at multiple markets. And I think uh, that was what was perhaps the most exciting thing for them. And I think combining that with the fact that you know both me and my co-founder uh, had years of experience working within financial services as an industry, um, you know. Um, um, you know, sort of, uh, sort of help, right? And uh, uh, and yeah, I think they've been great supporters, great partners as we've kind of you know embarked on this journey. They're very actively involved in the company and have been 
advising us and uh, been like great, uh, you know, great folks to bounce off ideas as we scale up the company to the next level. So, so I guess uh, as you're now, you know, thinking about scaling the company and <clears throat> and taking it to the next level, you know, obviously to all those investors, you had to sell them on a vision, you know, and a compelling future that you were living into, no? So imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Pushkar, and um, you wake up in a world where the vision of drift capital is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the vision would be to really be the platform of choice for small businesses in, in multiple markets uh, to, to be a one-stop solution for addressing trade needs for these small businesses. Of course, working capital is the core DNA we have. That's the business we've, we've built and we continue to scale up. Uh, but over time, the vision would be to perhaps add other products and services, which just makes the life of a small business easy. Um, we want to be continue. We want to continue building our global presence. As I said, the focus, at least in the short term, would be to continue going deeper in the markets we're operating in. But we see opportunities, multiple opportunities, to expand from our presence in, let's say, Mexico to parts of LATAM, South America. We also see opportunities within Asia. Uh, U.S. itself is the largest buyer in the world. So, you know, there are obviously opportunities to, to uh, grow there. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the vision that, you know, if we are able to enable many, many businesses, small businesses to realize their full potential, I think we would have been, we would be successful. Yeah. And when it comes to scale, you know, especially, I mean, you were, you were alluding to now that uh, basically you guys have done like multiple rounds of financings. You know, when I think about a round of financing is basically you are bringing the right people that are going to help you unlock the next life cycle of the business. So as you have, uh, you know, gone from one cycle to the next with drip capital, I mean, how, how have you seen, you know, those challenges shift from one cycle to the other? Yeah. Uh, so you're right. I think uh, initially, you know, we, we wanted to get investors who were, uh, who were at appropriate at that stage. So for example, going through Y Combinator was a great experience. They're one of the best accelerators, incubators, and it was great for us to sort of participate in that program. Um, and then I think as we went along, you know, getting more uh, venture capitalists involved who are, uh, you know, who are seeing the potential in, in the opportunity we're going after. Uh, and I would say more recently, I think we've been engaging more with strategic investors who could help us unlock the next phase of growth and um, the kinds of investors we're bringing on board. So TI platform is one of the investors who were significant investors in our last round. And they run one of the largest LP platforms, right? Connected to a lot of insurance companies, a lot of institutional investors. And that is, is really one of the key areas for us to continue growing. As we can we unlock more and more um, uh, investors on the supply side, because ultimately, you know, that is also one of the constraints to growth that can we get more and more uh, investors who are interested in, in our kind of assets, right? Um, so bringing them on was super helpful. We also brought on board um, um, a very large family office from from Mexico, which will help us um, expand within Mexico as well as the broader LATAM and South America region. Right. So I would say that as we think forward and we think about who would be the right set of investors for us, I think, yeah, the investors who would be right set for us will be some people who will be helping us on either the supply side or the demand side, unlocking opportunities for us. Those would be the right set of investors. Yeah. In terms of also of you know taking a look at the at the past you know and and taking a look at the past with 
with a lens of reflection. You know, if, you know, obviously now, you know, incredible, the wealth of knowledge, you know, what you guys have been able to accomplish with the business. If you were able to go back in time, you know, let's say I put you into a time machine and you're able to go back in time, perhaps to, to have a sit down, you know, with that younger Pushkar that is, you know, coming out of one of those classes at Wharton and thinking about what kind of company you were going to build, you know, in the, in the venture world and, and that excitement no, of, of, of living into that future. But let's say now you're right there with that younger Pushkar and you're able to give that younger Pushkar one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given you know, what you know now? So one piece of advice would be uh, definitely uh, start sooner um, than later. I think uh, a part of me, um, you know, if I reflect like 10 years back, I, I, I just sort of, you know, um, I was too kind of afraid to take the plunge, right? And, and I kept procrastinating that decision on when to launch and what should I have before I launch, right? For three, four, five years, I just kept thinking about it, right? I think the ideal time for me to start would have been right to start during Wharton, right? And I think the second key piece of advice I would give is that uh, the the most important and the best thing to do when you want to launch is just talk to your users, right? I think a lot of times, um, you know, us MBAs and ex-consultants, you know, tend to focus a lot on reading research reports or preparing uh, pitch decks or market market studies, right? And a lot of it is irrelevant. At the end of the day, I think what really matters is are you making something which which people are willing to pay for, right? And the only way to find that out is actually launch fast. And if it's okay, it fails, right? But launch fast and talk to your users, right? Uh, and I I felt that during the early parts of trip. Um, uh, we did spend or waste a lot of time, you know, doing things which didn't really uh, matter much. You know? uh, and what mattered really was the time we spent with our users. So, I love that. Now, uh, Pushkar, for the people that are listening that would love to to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to to do so? Uh, so they can reach out to me on email, pushkar at dripcapital.com. Um, yeah, that would be the best way. Amazing. Well, easy enough, Pushkar. Well, hey, well, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with all of us. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.